Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, you're listening to the Times Redbox Politics Podcast with me, Patrick Maguire, for the final time next week. Matt is back on Monday. But before then, one more show from me. Today, we're talking age in politics. How young is too young? And is it time for more age and experience? But first, today's Economist panel. It's a cracker today from James Forsyth and Melanie Reid. The Columnists with Formel. James Forsyth and Melanie Reid on Times Radio. Yes, it's a Friday, so it's time to speak to two of our very favourite columnists. Melanie Reid, morning, Melanie. Morning, Patrick. And James Forsyth. Good morning, James. Morning, how are you? Very well, James, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Tired, after, bad. tired after this busy week in British politics, I'm sure. Um, I, I can always think this, that from 1997 to 2007, the, the big issue in British politics was, you know, the, the Blair-Brown relationship, how to treat the uh, how to treat the debt of foundation hospitals, where, where, whose balance sheet it should appear on. And yet since and yet since 2014, it has been just non-stop kind of box set style drama. It has, as you said in your column last week, we'll talk about this week's column, you know, British, uh, British politics is suffering from box set syndrome, uh, you know, unlikely comebacks, uh, seasons long grudges, uh, cliffhangers, each more implausible than the last I think we could all do uh, we could all do with a bitter uh, bit of a break couldn't we uh, James let's speak about your column first this morning then it's a very compelling argument I think uh, about Labour's uh, challenges with Rishi Sunak the Times is a uh, top leader this morning which you can of course read in the paper or online makes a similar point uh, you write the new Rishinomics will box Starmer in and your point uh, in a nutshell, is that Rishi Sunak, who you've obviously known for a very long time, uh, is Mr. Fiscal fiscal Rectitude and can very easily uh, narrow the pitch on which Labour are going to play uh, political football, can't he? Yeah, look, one of the great advantages any government has is that it sets the baseline. So, so what, what, what it is going to do on tax and spend is the default. And I mean, the problem for Labour is that that Liz Truss has blown up for, 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 for at least, you know, I think a decade, the idea of simply that, you know, that politicians can't simply say they'll just borrow more and, and it'll be fine and the markets will be happy with that. So, I mean, that puts Labour in a position where if they want to, uh, they either have to do what Labour did in 1997, which is say, look, we, we will just stick to Tory spending plans, which is a big limit on their ambitions. Or if they try and deviate from that, they are going to have to be talking about raising taxes because I think the argument that you can just borrow the money won't fly with the public now. Uh, yes, it's an interest. It is an interesting point, isn't it? And it, it narrows Labour's uh, scope to draw clear red water between between them and the opposition. Um, what do you think, Mel? Uh, first of all, I wanted to ask you whether uh, are we calling it Rishinomics or, or Sunakonomics? I mean, what, which is better in your view? I would think Rishinomics is is yeah, it's, it's that's much slicker. Yeah, it, it yeah. falls off the tongue. It falls. Off. What do you think? Is 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 Sunak a, a trickier uh, opponent for uh, Labour than Listros? Yeah, well, I think do you know. I think at the moment, um, all all you know, it's almost non-political at the moment. I think 
Britain's just heaved a big sigh of relief because we've got someone. It's just like your dad saying, you know, stop buying things on tick, pay off that credit card. And, you know, and dad's been right all along. And if you, if you, I mean, you think of the austerity with the Cameron, with Osborne and Cameron, austerity didn't lose them the election. They, you know, they, 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 they were reelected. And I think people, people are actually, they won't necessarily vote Labour um, just because of austerity. Um, I think that the the Labour Party will have to box clever. They will have to um, think of new ideas, think outside the box. Uh, the, the one suggestion that um, one of the one of the strengths in in uh, the, the in Starmer's hand is to try and um, find some new way of of reconnecting with our biggest market, which is Europe. And and um, you know building trade in that way, building growth in that way, that's not it's not taxing. So, but just I think in the meantime, we all just want to be dull and and pay off our credit cards, um, the nation. And I think um, that that's that's happening. Uh, and 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 is that is that Rishi Sunak the approach Rishi is likely to guide Rishi Sunak, James? I mean, I was very struck by this line in your column. Um, he is also driven by information. He's the admirer of his father-in-law saying, "In God we trust." Everyone else must bring data to the table, and you, we've seen great signs. Line. It is a great line, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to be yeah. nicking it. I'm yeah. going to be nicking it. Um, and there have been signs of that sort of um, uh, meticulous research this week. He's been uh, in, in, at the heart of government, at least uh, in, in terms of what's informing the government's economic approach. Uh, George Osborne was in to meet Jeremy Hunt yesterday, and the Chancellor has spoken to all of his predecessors, including Quasi Quarting. That must have been a short conversation. Do you think? That's what we're likely to see, a sort of slow, evidence-based approach to policymaking here now, James? Yeah, I, I think he, I think there will be, I think it's going to be based on, let, let, let's look at the figures, let's look at what we can do. And I think also based on the view, I think one of the reasons he found the summer hard is, is his instinctive approach is to under-promise and over-deliver. Uh, and so I think, I think, I don't, I don't expect the, uh, I don't expect the kind of government's rhetoric to, to go back to being, um, you know, everything is going to be world-beating, everything is going to be fantastic. I, I think they will much rather slowly build up a case. I also think that, you know, given what the Tory party has put the country through in the last few months, but that they would be, Ill, you know, it would jar if you came out and started sounding kind of all triumphalist. Yes, yes, it certainly would, I think. Um, let's move on to another political story from this week. Suella Bravman, still a lightning rod for the government a week after her first resignation. And uh, we are looking uh, at, you know, a, another row within the cabinet. Uh, she and uh, Rishi Sunak clear they're going to clash on immigration going forward. Uh, Melanie, when you saw uh, Suella Bravman reappointed to the cabinet, what was your reaction? Well, you know, things you resist tend to persist, don't they? Uh, and it's that sense that, that here is here is kind of the fault line. Here's the here's 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 the trench between the, the, the where where the fight the fight between the, the the factions of the Tory Party can 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 really enjoy themselves. And and there is that lovely that lovely ominous phrase which journalists are mounting questions mounting questions about whether she has the confidence of the intelligence uh, and security services. And, you know, is it a real scandal or is it manufactured by by um, a Tory party incapable and addicted, like the box set, addicted to chaos and internecine warfare? You know, it's, I, I'm, 
yeah, I, I, I think she will. I think she'll survive, but I think we're going to get a lot of sniping. It's going to, it's, it's, it's going to carry on for a while. This. Do you agree, James? I, I think she is fine as long as nothing else comes out. As long as the multiple breaches all happened in 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 one instant, if you if you see what I mean. Because I, as I understand it, the multiple breaches were that you know she used her personal phone for government business. And she sent a government document to someone who wasn't in the government. As long as the multiple breaches are all in all, all in the same incident, then, then I think she is. Then I think she is probably all right. I mean, the bigger question for the government is: is this? Is you know, can it deal with the, um, the the in particular the Albanian element of the small boats question? Because I, I think you know, for, for a Tory government. You have to be able to show if you want if you want to allow in more high skilled people and the like, you need to be able to show that you have control over the system itself. And I think that you know the, the evidence we heard that, that, that Matt Dayton's written about in the Times today about just how long it is taking to process all these claims, the sheer number of people coming, some of the you know the whole challenge of housing them. Uh, I think the government needs to get a grip on that, and I mean actually. You know, I think in, in, I think Suella Rodman's future will be determined by that rather than by um, her previous resignation, if you see what I mean. Yes, indeed. Sorry, Mel, go on. No, I mean, the Home Secretary's job is uh, traditionally, hasn't it? The Home Secretary's job has always been one of the toughest jobs in Britain. You know, it's the hardest thing to do. And I mean, the, the, the challenges she faces now dealing with... Uh, with especially with this, with the Albanian question, and and trying to speed up. I mean, this talk of of giving internal targets and 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 to, to civil servants and things. But you know, she 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 will be made made broken by this or made by it. I think. Uh, and just before I let you both go, James, I'll start with you. Are you uh, Elon Musk's Twitter takeover? Has it uh, made you have second thoughts about your relationship with the uh, with the website? Well, fascinatingly, I thought he was. Um, uh, I thought he was going to find some way to get out of it. I thought that explained some of his slightly odder actions. So, so I am surprised that he has has followed through in buying it. I think there is a kind of fascinating question about the, 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 the how these tech billionaires, you know, how how they are not just content to have made their money, but how they wish to kind of reshape the world mm. in which we live in various ways. And, and I think this is going to be an absolutely kind of fascinating story of the coming years because because you know they, they they are behaving like a kind of rockefeller or a jp morgan you know or an andrew carnegie but they, they they don't they don't just want to make their money and go and live on some luxury yacht but they want they want to reshape the the world look at peter Thiel's political donations or bill gates's philanthropy and i, I think just it, it is just you know what they think about the world i think is going to become an absolutely fascinating question uh, what do you think, Manly? Uh, has it redoubled no, your opposition to Twitter? Sorry, go on. Terrifying. Terrifying. You've, you've given a hugely rich, spoilt child with very erratic behaviour, The big one of the biggest toy sets in the world. And, you know, is he going to be, you know, this thing about free speech, you know, he's, is, he going to put, is he going to put Trump back on? Questions like, would he put Alex Jones denying the reality of Sandy Hook massacre? Is that his idea of free speech? Big, big, you big, know. big questions. Yeah, and, and look, it's Elon Musk world. We all merely live in it. And we're going to be talking about Twitter with a former <laughs> uh, executive just in just a moment. So I'll let you go. Melanie Reed and James Forsyth, thanks as ever for joining us. That was James Forsyth and Melanie Reed there with our Economist panel. You can, of course, read them every week in The Times. Just pick up a copy of the paper or get yourself a subscription. Head to The Times website to sort that out. 
Up next, it's our big thing in age in politics. Is it too much, too young in Westminster? As our millennial Prime Minister takes office, I speak to Joan Bakewell, the Labour peer and national treasurer, on whether we're freezing old people out of public life. Vince Cable, who quit as leader of the Liberal Democrats well into his 70s, and the youngest ever mayor in Britain. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Times Redbox podcast. Now it's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Now, Rishi Sunak, our new Prime Minister, is 42 years old. For context, context, rather, that's the same age as Kim Kardashian, Channing Tatum, Ronaldinho. It's two years older than Matt Shawley. And that's probably all about they share. But it is, by modern standards, not particularly old. At 42, at 42, Rishi Sunak is the youngest Prime Minister of modern times, taking that title from David Cameron, who himself took it from Tony Blair. And of course, I don't need to tell you, a listener to this show, that the youngest Prime Minister of all time was the aptly named Pitt the Younger, William Pitt the Younger, who was just 24 when he took office, and that was in 1783. So today we're asking whether politicians really are, like policemen, getting younger and whether youth and vigour are more important than age and experience when it comes to running the country. Tim Bale is Professor of Politics at the Queen Mary University of London. He joins me now. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. Uh, Tim, are politicians really getting younger or is this a, you know, is this a classic along the lines of, you know, policemen getting younger, uh, wagon wheels being smaller than they used to be, that sort of thing, or or does the data (laughs) back it up? I'm afraid the data doesn't back it up. Actually, MPs aren't getting uh, any younger. The average age of an MP hasn't really changed very much since about 1979, actually. It's around um, 50 years old. 
uh, I think it was 51 in 2005, and the lowest it's been for a long time was, I think, 48 in, in 1983. So we're really not um, looking at a, a real trend here. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because they certainly, I don't know whether it's about a change in our political culture, because, uh, or, you know, life expectancy more generally, but because if you look at the list of, of new prime ministers, say like David Lloyd George, 53, Margaret Thatcher, 53, mm. Wilson, 48, Major, 47, Truss, 47, Blair, 43, Cameron, 43, Sunak, 42. Um, you know, that's not a huge spread, but yet there is undoubtedly a, a feeling, isn't there, that uh, younger politicians are to the fore. Why, why is it that we assume this, do you think? Well, I think you're right. I mean, most people don't pay a great deal of attention to politics um, very, very wisely. Uh, and they tend to, I think, see the leaders and perhaps some of the people around the leader as representative of the rest of the uh, the um, people in the House of Commons. So you're absolutely right to say that prime ministers in some ways seem to be um, getting younger. Uh, but, you know, it's just not true for, for MPs um, as a whole. I mean, I think the, the fact that... Uh, prime ministers are getting younger is really a reflection of something we do see is that although the age hasn't changed very much the experience has so Mm. there are more and more mps in the house of commons with if you like less experience than there used to be and it certainly doesn't take anywhere near as much experience for your party to think that you are capable of of being the leader one thing that is undoubtedly true though is that there are now fewer older mps if we look beyond Mm. Uh, number 10 and the highest echelons of Whitehall. There are fewer older MPs, and that's partly due to the introduction of something quite boring, a parliamentary pension, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I think that does make a, a difference. That means that, you know, people don't have to hang on, um, you know, representing the constituency they've represented for years and years and years because, uh, you know, otherwise their income is going to take a hit. But you're absolutely right, actually. If you look at the number of MPs aged over 65 now it's only about nine percent of mps uh, are aged over 65 and yet in the population 24 percent of people are aged over 65 so actually we we seriously underrepresent older people or much older people anyway in the house of commons just as we seriously up unrepresent sorry we seriously don't represent younger people either because if you look at the 18 to 24 age group for example only one percent of mps are 18 to 24 but 11 percent of the adult population um are uh, are aged between 18 and 24 so that that i think makes a big difference and what do you think is lost through this uh age sort of age distribution tim well i mean i think you know if you believe that the house of commons should be a, a microcosm of British society and that it would make better decisions as a result of that, then you can argue that actually that underrepresentation is is quite serious. But then again, there's all sorts of underrepresentation in the House of Commons, most noticeably, um, people would say, especially with people who've been looking at politics for a long time, uh, the lack of you know truly working class people in, in the House of Commons is, if anything, just as glaring, if not more glaring. Mm, mm. And, and, you know, I suppose, I suppose that's a... Uh... There's no use having uh, lots of uh, lots of older people in, in Parliament if they are all from a homogenous social background, is there? No, that's right. Um, you know, and, and coming back to this this question of you know making decisions, I mean, it, it is generally thought, particularly by businesses nowadays, that you know the the more varied, if you like, for example, the board is, then the better decisions uh, you make, and you can actually see this. Some would argue in. 
um, company's performance. So it, it does seem slightly strange that we're we're not so worried about this when it comes to politics. And what's happened in Parliament is essentially we've got a big bulge of people around my age, people in their 50s and late 50s. That's where the big bulge is. And I'm not sure people like me necessarily understand some of the uh, issues that you know are really going to be very pressing for the 21st century because we were born well into the 20th. Well, Tim, uh, you are, as ever, much too modest. That was Tim Bale, Professor of Politics at Queen Mary University of London, uh, revealing that actually uh, politicians aren't getting any younger, but that doesn't mean there aren't serious problems with the age distribution of our politicians. Uh, Plenty more on that to come. Well, earlier... For a view from the other side of the divide, I spoke to the broadcaster, Labour peer and National Treasurer, Joan Bakewell, who has been campaigning for the rights of older people. I asked if there was a risk that Asian experience are being pushed out of politics. Well, I sit in the House of Lords, which, of course, is full of very old expertise. Um, so I wouldn't underrate it at all. Um, I, I don't know whether there is that risk, but there is certainly a tendency um, among all careers these days to look for younger people very early because talent spotting for the next generation is now um, an important managerial skill. So when you're looking for young people to come into politics, that's where you're investing your, your future. You wouldn't look to someone in their 50s or 60s however qualified they were, to to enter into a political world now. It would be hard for them perhaps to get elected in a local council. I've known someone who stood recently and didn't didn't get um, elected at all. Uh, He was enormously able and willing to give the time. And of course, as you get older, perhaps early retirement, you do have more time. But the whole uh, nature of career structure these days is to look for the new talent and nurse it through. And we have a, um, a situation in politics now where people go from school, university, and then become, you know, uh, assistant to politicians directly. They go get jobs in parliament with a view to a political career. There was a time not that long ago, well, when I was younger, when people had careers first as lawyers, barristers, um, teachers, lecturers, and then went into politics. But that doesn't seem to be the mode anymore. No, it's uh, the Oxbridge Parliamentary Researcher, Special Advisor, MP, Cabinet Minister, Prime Minister, Conveyor Belt is a very, is a very familiar one. So old people, or older people rather, not old people, are being frozen out in some workplaces. Um, what, what can we do to change that culture, do you think? I don't think it would be easy. I mean, to become a SPAD at the age of 20 gives you an enormous sense of power and future. Why should you care what your granny thinks? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. The young think about the younger generation. And, in, and indeed, they are quite right to do so, given the climate crisis, which affect the future, given all the economic outlooks, which will affect the future, given the renting crisis, they can't get flats. So the young are certainly deserving of consideration of their problems. We've had our problems as old people. We've either solved them or we're not. Um, it will be hard to do that now. And they certainly need attention But the young will focus on the young because that's what they do. And looking at political debate now, there's a lot of debate over, say, uprating benefits in line with uh, inflation and and that the perennial policy debate is whether the pensions triple lock is fair. When you look at people, uh, politicians debating uh, changing the triple lock and uh, 
they all assume or say that a lot of pensioners will be fine regardless. Um, do you think that's a, that's the sort of area where there is definitely a need for uh, more voices with direct experience of, of what uh, what people are talking about? Because the assumption is, well, look, old people are all are all cash rich. They'll be fine. I think there's a, a great need for a debate about the triple lock because I, I'm, you know, I'm available for the triple lock, but I don't need it. I've got a private pension, not a big one, but I, I live on my own. I don't have a great spend. So I think there are plenty of people like me who get by with the pensions they've got and the way of life they have. So I think there's a situation in which we could discuss whether the triple lock should be means tested. I think there's a situation there that gives a possibility of some saving without depriving people. I think when you're old, you do need a bit more money because you're going to need money to get around. You can't, you aren't as mobile. You'll need to um, perhaps have uh, consult someone, physiotherapies or um, that kind of thing, a bit of help as you get older. The occasional taxi, certainly I take one. Um, but there are plenty like me who've got decent professional pensions and don't need the triple lock as an absolute standby. So I do think there's a, a case for debate about it right now. You mentioned the House of Lords earlier, uh, Lady Batewell. Um, do you think there is an argument, we've been talking about the need for uh, older people to uh, to have their fair crack of the whip in the workplace, but do you think the Lords could do with an injection of younger talent bringing the average age down, or is that, uh, is that uh, unnecessary? What the Lords could do with is out without the nominees of the outgoing prime ministers, whoever they are, who put in their cronies. That is a really messing up the House of Lords. The House of Lords needs talent. And when it when it recruits people like former secretaries to the cabinet, you know you're getting real wisdom coming into the House. <clears throat> so I do think it certainly needs revising, of course, the House of Lords, reforming it very seriously. But I do think the nature of people who come into the House of Lords is very important. There are amazingly distinguished people. I mean, there were former diplomats um, and military uh, top brass and, as I was saying, secretaries to the cabinet, people who know stuff that's important to know when you're debating these bills that come to us. So I do think it needs to be revised in the way that it is appointments are made and should not be overridden by as vanity projects for outgoing prime ministers. And final question, uh, Joan Batewell. Um, the passing of the late Queen has deprived of us, a, uh, us as a nation of a, a link to the wartime generation, um, of, a, of a, an older role model who was seen by many people to embody values, uh, perhaps forgotten values of, of service and, and duty and propriety. Um, are there enough role models in her, uh, in her vein who've seen it all, who've been here for for many many decades have have we lost something in national life with the loss of that uh role model and are there enough potential replacements of course i think i would wouldn't i think that we have lost important values civic values values about public good which i grew up with and which were part of the labor government after the war um under attlee who believed in improving society generally and that there was a, a duty to take the public good as part of your objective um each generation has to learn that for itself. They can't adopt that simply because granny says so, although I do say it. Um, they have to learn that it's good to get, come together as communities to solve problems. A lot of them learned that during the, uh, the lockdown. 
and realised that helping each other was both rewarding in, in practical terms and, and enjoyable. So I do think each generation has to discover it for itself, make its own values. And I actually believe that the human spirit is uh, strenuous enough to come to the right conclusions. Well, that was the Labour peer and national treasurer, Joan Bakewell, there on the role of age in politics and the need to ensure older people not just young whippersnappers like Rishi Sunak, have a fair crack of the whip in the political arena and beyond. Well, now I'm joined by two politicians. One at the beginning of his career, Alexander Curtis became a councillor in the Hertfordshire town of Ware just before his 18th birthday and was town mayor of 20. Morning, Alexander. Morning, Patrick. Hi. Uh, May I uh, ask how old you are now? I'm 25. 25. You're a veritable veteran. You're a veritable veteran. You're going to be giving uh, Sir Vince Cable a run for his money, the former leader of the Liberal Democrats and cabinet minister in the coalition government. He retired from politics in 2019, having quit as Lib Dem leader, saying he didn't want to outlast uh, William Gladstone or Robert Mugabe. Uh, Good morning, Vince. Good morning. Uh, do you mind telling us how old you are now, Vince, if we could be so indelicate? Uh, I'm 79. I, I got into Parliament age 54, into the Cabinet age 67, and I was party leader at 74. But I thought that aged um, in my late 70s, I was young enough to start a new career, so I stepped down from Parliament. Uh, Vince, let me start with you. You know, you, you've just given us a timeline there. Um, you've come into politics not via the usual uh, special advisor conveyor belt, but having a having done many other things in uh, in uh, business and politics and uh, and economics. Um, you know, that obviously gave you a lot of experience you could bring to bear. But did you find that particularly towards the end of your career, people were asking questions of your abilities because of your age that you wouldn't have otherwise been being asked? Well, they were, uh, and part of my answer was to point to what was happening in the most important country in the world, which is the United States, where the two leading politicians are both in their late 70s, and they're young compared with some of the powerful people in Congress, like Nancy Pelosi, I think now over 80. So, you know, we have this particular obsession in this country at this point in time, but in leadership positions in powerful countries, it's not an issue. I mean, I I would argue in my own case that I had the enormous benefit of having a very varied career. But more important, um, I was able to pay time and attention to to my family and I was able to read to my children at bedtime these things that, you know, very busy politicians just aren't able to do. I mean, Rishi Sunak admitted, you know, that that he'd been a bad father. I mean, he did it in a jokey way. But unfortunately, you know, for young people at the top of politics, they have to abandon their family responsibilities, in effect. And I was lucky enough to, to have a happy United family in my middle middle age and i i'm grateful for that alexander curtis listening to vince cable there are you reconsidering your plans for political greatness do you want to be prime minister before rishi sunak's 42 years having heard what you're missing out on from vince well i i i, I think it'd be difficult for anyone to want to be prime minister at the present time I and mean, he's got quite the intrigue doesn't he um no i mean i i i i've i've always i mean i've always had a career alongside my political involvement. So I worked for the United Nations at first when I finished at, um, at Oxford. Um, and now I run my own business. Um, so I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm working in various things. Uh, but 
well, how should I say, if you sort of, well, I, I think that, but yeah, per, per, political career really, it's about, it's about service, I think. And I think what was said earlier by um, Lady Bakewell, um, that, that, that resonated a lot with me. Um, it's not something I'm going to reconsider, uh, but I, I enjoy uh, what I what I do, but we'll see we'll see what opportunities come up and um, whether I'm in a good position to take them. Well, Alexander, you you know you you clearly have uh, quite a lot of experience you can you can bring to bear on uh, on politics. But Vince, um, when you were working in that coalition cabinet, and you know there were lots of uh, lots of young thrusters in that cabinet in their in their forties, um, did you did you feel that you know there were, did you ever look at them and think well they lack. Uh, they lack some of the experience I can bring to bear. You know, for instance, George Osborne, uh, much, much younger than you, uh, running the economy. Perhaps, you know, you didn't think he had as good an understanding or applied understanding as economics as you did, regardless of your political differences. Did you ever look at younger colleagues and think, God, you don't know what you're talking about? Well, I, I, I did actually pull George Osborne's leg about this. I, you know, called him a young man on work experience. Um <laughs> Which, which got a laugh at the time. But I did actually learn to respect his intelligence and ability, and that, that, that wasn't an issue. And I think the important thing about the cabinet at that time was that we had a good balance. You know, there, there were some, you know, bright young things, uh, but there were also an older generation, Ken Clark, as, as was older than me, um, you know, who, who could bring to bear the experience of previous governments and an outside life. So the important thing is is balance, actually, getting getting a good blend of old and young. If it's disproportionately one way or the other, you're in trouble, I think. And how important, uh, Vince, do you think experience and knowledge of eras past is important? You know, encountering problems that other governments have encountered that you may not have been in government for, but you remember happening at the time as lived experience rather than something you've read about in a paper or a, or a history book. How important is that, do you think? I think it is important for this reason. that Government is immensely complex. I mean, particularly if you have a big government department, I had business innovation, also higher education, but something like work and pensions, um, you know, environment. I mean, these, these are very big subjects. You're managing, you're responsible for the, you know, thousands and thousands of people. In my case, I think hundreds of thousands. Uh, and unless you've had some feel for, you know, large, complex organizations, how they run, how how they can be motivated, I think, I think you're struggling. So, you know, experience in that kind of way is is I think very very valuable and and it it, it reduces the time you, you you need to learn to run run the department. I mean I think what's so horrifying about government at the present isn't so much the youth of, of the of the ministers, but the fact that they're there three months six months a year. But you need several years to to really get on top of the brief, quite apart from your own personal experience. And, and and any advice for your uh, for your young co-panelist Vince as he mulls a, uh, a lifetime in in politics and public service? Well, I'm delighted he's getting involved. Uh, I, I you know I wish him well. I I, I think my advice to him is you, you're gonna you're gonna run into trouble at some point. You know you have defeats, you have setbacks, and the important thing is to stick at it. You know, far too many really talented young people just fall beside the wayside. Uh, because they've run into difficult with a selection or an election. And, uh, you know, you've just got to keep at it. Uh, Alexander, uh, 
it, is that what you wanted to hear? Is what you've heard from Vince uh, uh, put you off or, or, or redoubled your commitment? And I, I just wondered, um, as well as that, do you feel ever uh, that you're taken less seriously because of your youth? Well, uh, thanks a lot for the advice, Vince. It's very, very useful, uh, very interesting. Yeah, I, I can remember when I first became a counsellor, uh, you really have that in that people, necessarily some of the older ones, often you feel like they, they, they sometimes um, don't take you as seriously, uh, but or they doubt you, they, they sort of have higher expect sort of high standards you must meet almost to when you sort of try and make a point, etc. Uh, you're held to different standards to people who have been there for longer. Uh, age doesn't necessarily equal experience, though. I think that age and experience are correlated, but I think that we also have there's a lot of a lot of people, of older people who perhaps have more experience of different walks of life than others. Someone like Vince is extremely experienced in all of the the, 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 the the different streams of work he was doing before he became an MP, etc. Um, and that, that that I think is something that we perhaps need more of. Um, I think it's, I'd like to see the day when we had minors back in Parliament. We used to have minors as MPs, um, former minors. Um, yeah, we need to have all sorts of different ages, uh, but also people from different walks of life, people who can bring different perspectives to the table. Um, but yeah, people definitely found with me when I was when I was younger, um, when I was 18, 19, it was, it was difficult at times. And people did doubt whether you could do things. But, and there's also, well, one last point I make on that is also there's the risk of you almost being tokenized as mm. the young councillor or the young MP, young representative, and um, being consulted on, on issues, on youth issues, but not on others, when in reality, a lot of the issues, well, all issues, affect us all in many regards. So um, people from different ages can contribute on all sorts of issues. They're not older people's issues, younger people's issues specifically. Um, it's topics like housing, um, the environment. Um, local economy, jobs, etc. They affect us all. And it's important that we understand that. Certainly, lots of key issues cutting across the age divide. Well, Alexander Curtis, who became a councillor in the Hertfordshire town of Ware just before his 18th birthday and was town mayor at 20. And Vince Cable, the former leader of the Liberal Democrats and former cabinet minister. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, that's all we've got time for. Thanks for listening to me this week. Matt is back on Monday. Remember, like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get yours from.